This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is March 25th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, my name is Katrina Sten. Most people knew me as Kat Sten. And I was at Hofstra WRHU from 2002, fall of 2002, until spring of 2006. Okay. What shows and programs did you work on? I I got my start with Newsline, I think, as a lot of people do. Um, and then I actually ended up uh, becoming the producer for the classics from Hofstra and the Jazz Cafe. I also did some turns on Uncharted Territory. And I had to, and I didn't have to, but I was also involved in Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Okay. Did you work on any of the community uh, volunteer programs on the weekends or anything like that? I did not. Um, by and large, I knew about many of the community programs and I listened to them, but I um, lived on campus, but I had a job. So I was usually mm. working on the weekends. Got it. Did you have any other titles or positions at the station? Just producer, classics producer, and jazz cafe producer. Um, I was a co-host for Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. <laughs> okay. I think that was it for my titles, though. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, you mentioned that you went by Cat. Did, did you use that on the air? Did you have any other nicknames? Oh, yeah. For the jazz cafe, I was Cool Cat Sten. <laughs> um, and then for everything else, it was just I'm Cat Sten. So... I think it was just Cool Cat Sten for the Jazz Cafe. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, so two-part question and answer whatever order makes sense to you. Uh, but I always want to know what it is that brought people to the radio station in the first place. And then if you could give us an idea of what it was like walking in there, maybe people that you met or what it looked like or what it smelled like, what was going on when you first arrived? Wow, I feel like this is the question that... I could spend all night talking to you about. Um, so I, a little bit of backstory, I did not expect to go to Hofstra University. Um, it wasn't even in my top three. I had planned to go, I lived in Maryland and I had planned to go down to UNC, North Carolina. And I got in, I was going to go, but the financial aid just was insufficient. So I was kind of heartbroken about it. But then I'd had this my like auto application to Hofstra University from my school. It was one of those things where Hofstra had like waived the application fee. Hmm. So I had applied and I'd gotten in and they'd given me sufficient um, support that I could actually attend. And so my mom had said, well, let's go check it out. And when I arrived, I was blown away by how beautiful the campus was and how just incredible the whole school was but at that point I was in music I had no idea about school of calm and then I met Mike Fordham <laughs> and if you haven't talked to Mike Fordham yet he needs to be on your list because this is a man who like lives for music and he when I met him at orientation he was like oh this school has this amazing radio station and I'm going to apply and you guys should definitely apply and so he was so excited about it. And I had a background in music theater. So, I mean, I was in music. I knew stuff about using my voice. Um, but I was like, all right, well, let's just see. And then when I went to the, when I went to the station and interviewed, I interviewed with Bruce. I'm pretty sure I interviewed with Joel. I definitely interviewed with Ed Ingalls. Um, and I just, just seeing the studio, I was like, oh my God, I want to be here. This is great. So mm. it started, um, my interest in the station began as like sympathetic appreciation through my friend. 
and then it became like wholly my own. Um, once the training class started, I was 100%. I was in love with it. So, Wow. Um, funny enough, I, I, I've been in conversation with Mike online, and I think we've got a, an interview coming up soon. So uh, interesting timing on that. But I want to go back when you, when you first went to the campus uh, to visit with your mother. Did you go to the radio station? Do you remember any particular buildings or, or anything about that particular visit on your first time? My first time, I didn't because I was a music major. I was a music education mm. major. So I had to go to the School of Music, which is not far um, from the School of Calm, but that was where my audition was. So I didn't go to the School of Communication at all. I think the first time I went to the School of Calm was to see the radio station. Okay. Um, and it, it, you know, that ended up becoming like a major life-changing point because ultimately my sophomore year, I left the music education program and I switched over to public relations um, because I had been in the school of comms so much <laughs> um, working with WRHU and I'd met so many amazing people through there. And that was then once I was in the school of calm, you know, I just lived there. So. There are many stories throughout the generations of people saying, well, I went there to be a doctor. Or I went there to go into math or whatever it is. And you wind up being a communications major. So uh, it's, it is the lore of the radio station. But I want to go back to that, those first interviews when you met with Bruce and Joel and Ed Ingalls. Um, what was that like? Do you remember? I, I guess you were taking it somewhat seriously to join the station because those are not you know, easy interviews like, oh, I just want to show up. They're they're testing to see if you're going to take it seriously, right? Yes. Yeah, so I I don't. I'm trying to think of how to say this. I I once I'm committed to something, I become very committed to it. Um, it. So once my like enthusiasm for the radio station was sparked, I was I was all in. So yes, I was very serious about it. I don't like to fail. So, um, I knew like, I wanted to be in this training class. I wanted to be part of this radio station and especially with Mike and another one of our friends, Jess, like it was the three of us we'd met at Hofstra's like freshman orientation. We kept in touch all summer. And then we were doing this together too. So it was like, it was kind of one of those things that became part of like my core friendship group. Um, for coming into Hofstra. And as somebody who was not native to New York, who didn't really know anything about the area, um, doing this this really awesome thing with my friends was very important to me. Um, but meeting Ed and, um, you know, Ed was so kind. He was always, always happy, always, always enthusiastic. I shouldn't say always happy because there were definitely moments he wasn't, but he was just such a positive force. Mm. And and it's like you meet him and you recognize like you're in the presence of greatness. This is Ed Ingalls here. And he just, he doesn't give any of that off. He's just, he's just present and he's there with you and he's engaged 100%. And I think that was one of the greatest things about Ed is that there's this, you know, I didn't know his full history until later, but here's this man who's like done incredible things and he could be anywhere. He could do anything, but he chooses to be here with us at WRHU. And I think like he just, he helped so many of us become like much better versions of ourselves just through his influence and presence in our lives. Mm. And a, a lot of that is like Bruce too. So if you think about it, it's kind of incredible. Like WRHU had these two 
amazing like figureheads like at the top there guiding all of our young minds. <laughs> um, but I think Bruce definitely intimidated me more than Ed did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, when he would just look at you and, and he would just like, it was like almost like, I don't want to say like a father because it was more like a boss than a father, but it was one of those things where it was like, this is a person who really cares about me and wants me to be successful. But he also is telling me that that's 100% my responsibility. So um, yeah, Bruce, I, you just, whenever I spoke with Bruce, there was just presence and passion in what he was saying and it seemed like he could not see the future but like he could he could help me see like where my path was going to lead me and then make me think about if it was the path I wanted to be on if that makes sense yeah it does make sense and um and everything that you're saying rings true about about both men we've we've heard many stories about both and uh those who had a chance to interact uh, I think would back you up a hundred percent on that. Now you get through the interview and now it's time for the training class, the famous training class. Do you remember anything about that? I remember it was really intense. Um, we had our study group. It was great. Um, my, at the time I came in, Mike DiPatrillo, Emily, Andy Gladding and Katie Mulligan, um, were teaching our training class. Of course, like Bruce and Ed and Joel were there as well. And, um, I, I became really close with Katie Mulligan, actually. She's one of my best friends. Um, and that was, yeah, it was through WRHU that I met her. Um, the training class, it was a lot of information yeah. in a very short period of time. I remember the binders. And I remember we had to study. We definitely had to study <laughs> a mm. lot. Um, but I felt like this was, you know, I I had experience in musical theater so it wasn't the first time I'd ever seen a board but it was like the first time that I was going to be running a board (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it was an entirely new world for me um, and a lot of information but very good information (laughs) sure sure and and again you said earlier you're someone who had high expectations and you don't like to not succeed so um, this wasn't something going in to your academic career that you expected. And now it's like another class on top of that. Did you feel pressure to, to kind of keep up? Yes. Um, well, one of the reasons that I ended up not staying in the music program was because we had incredibly full schedules. So I really had to make the WHU class a priority um, because it was a priority to me, but I did have a lot of other things going on. So especially as a music major, like we had our practice time that we had to put in our studio time. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I ended up leaving the music program because it was the classes I was required to take to become a music education major were literally like taking so much of my time that I couldn't spend as much time as I wanted. Mm. Like at the radio station and with my friends. So that was one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why I ended up switching over was because even though I, I went to Hofstra and I went into the music program, I met great people there. It ended up very quickly becoming apparent through my freshman year that the radio station WRHU and those friends, that's that's who I wanted to be around more. Um, so you go through the program. I imagine there's a test that you have to take and perhaps an audition to get cleared to be on the air. Yeah, we had to get cleared. And I think I, I remember getting cleared um, 
air getting cleared for the air and I, it was through newsline newsline was the first thing that i did um and of course that was with ed ingles and so ed was so positive and such a great coach and i used to talk really fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was something that ed had to talk to me about he's like i need to just slow down <laughs> and um yeah and it's funny too cuz now that i now that i teach um, English to English language learners, I've had to learn to slow down even more. So mm-hmm. I think about the lessons I learned from Ed and about like pronunciation and pacing and, and all of those things that just continue to serve me in my life even till today. Um, but I had to get air cleared and I had to get board cleared. I don't remember what it was called at the time. Engineering cleared, I think. Right. Yeah. And it was, I got air cleared first because I was doing Newsline and I think I got board cleared. I don't think it wasn't for Newsline because Newsline, you had to work that board really fast. I think, I think I got my board clearing when I was working on the classics um, because we had a little bit more, a little bit more time for that. Right. Um, I want to go back. You mentioned about, about speaking quickly and being a native Long Islander myself. And we always talk real fast all the time because we were always in a hurry. Uh, Long Island accent slipping back in there. Was that, was that a, a nervous thing or was it just that, that you just were someone who spoke quickly and that was, that was it. Did you have any uh, accent things to work on? I, I spent most of my childhood. Well, I was born in the South, but then I lived in Massachusetts for about 10 years, but then I spent the majority of my formative years living in the DC Metro and mm-hmm. so I think we have a, there is a little bit of a, a DC accent, but it's not a serious one. So I didn't have too much that I needed to work on for my accent, but I think, um, I, I just, I just talk a lot, <laughs> which is why I would speak so quickly. And also when I was nervous, I would speak more quickly. And I, that's something that I very viscerally remember is like getting ready to go on Newsline for the first time. And my heart felt like it was going to beat out of my chest because I was so excited and so nervous. Hmm. Um, so what else do you remember about that, that first time? Were you reading news stories? What were, what was going on at the moment? Right. Definitely reading news, editing news. It's, it's one of those fantastic things, you know, I feel like especially if you're going into communications, I ended up going into public relations and a lot of the work and coaching that I got at the radio station during my freshman year, just about like what to look for in the news stories, how to edit them um, and how to keep things balanced. I think um, it's just one of those things that I think about now when I'm listening to the news is like how I can kind of see like how they piece the story together. Um, and all of that is, is what I learned, like working, working with Ed Ingalls and the Newsline team. Hmm. So it seems like, would it be fair to say that you were comfortable at the station socially right away? You had a couple people that were in your, in your peer group there. Did you find that you were, you were, spending a lot of time, well, you said you're spending time at the station, but did you feel comfortable right away or did it take some time? I lived on campus, so I did feel pretty comfortable. I think the first time I went into the, for a station tour and we got, we got into the, the studio, it was pretty intimidating. Um, the board was massive and there were so many buttons and knobs mm-hmm. and dials and 
what do all of these do? Um, and when I, when I first began, like after my training class, I mean, I was a freshman in university. I was new to New York. I was in the honors college and um, doing some cool stuff with them too. But I felt like at the station, I was mostly just in awe of a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, especially like, who can I think? Of course, like obviously we had Ed and, and Bruce and Joel. Joel was pretty young, but he also felt like this is, he was so chill. It was like, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. And he had this passion and energy about the way he explained things. That was just like what you look for, you know, in a good teacher. Um, but then I was also working with like Mike DiPetrillo and Emily. And they were in a band, which was very cool to me. And they had made a CD. And Andy Gladding, who was just like, is still today when I think of music, I think of Andy Gladding mm-hmm. because he was just like this force of energy that knew seemingly everything about every band and music genre ever, um, which I know obviously is not true. But in my memory, I'm like, Andy Gladding knows everything about music. And um, and then Dave Plotkin and Dave Plotkin's who I took over, um, I think, yeah, Dave Plotkin was the one who was training me for Jazz Cafe and Classics. And I mean, he is like, I remember people, people would joke about Dave Plotkin. And I was like, no, but this guy, he really does know everything. And I think that was one of the things I didn't, maybe I didn't appreciate it enough at the time. But he is like, when I think of who knows radio best in my mind, in my memory today, I'm like Dave Plotkin. Dave Plotkin knows the most about radio and he was a really hard trainer. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was working on getting cleared for, for classics and for jazz cafe, I would do things and he would make me do them again Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because they weren't tight enough or it wasn't good enough. And like, ah, but in hindsight, like that's why the shows ended up being so good because he was, he had such high expectations for his staff and, now that I have a staff of my own, it's very clear, like you have to have high expectations and hold people to it if you want the job to be done well. So, Mm. um, but I think as a college student, you know, we're still very young and we're, we're adults, but you don't really feel like an adult yet. Um, but Dave Pluckin, somebody who, who always felt like an adult to me, even though we didn't have many years between us, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think some people come into the station and they know or have an idea of where they want to go or what they want to get to. And I think Dave is one of those people who came in with a set idea and experience. And then some of us, like myself, walk in and go, I don't know, this seems fun. Let's let's figure it out. Um, so yeah, I can see that that impression that Dave would give and, and having those very high standards. And he talked about that in our interview that uh, in hindsight, he worried that, you know, maybe I was too hard on some people, but uh, clearly he had a he had a positive impact on a lot of people. Yeah, I've, it's funny, like the things that happen, like it's been 20 years since I've been at the station and I still remember like some of those conversations with Dave that like maybe I felt not so great about in the moment, but in hindsight were like absolutely the, the conversations that needed to be had. I had a couple of those conversations with Bruce that didn't feel so great in the moment, but in hindsight, I'm like, I'm so grateful that I got that feedback because, you know, we grow from constructive feedback. There's no benefit to, to not receiving it. Hmm. 
Um, so when did you, when do you think you felt comfortable being on the air that, that you knew what you were doing and you knew how to do it? Probably my second year. I felt a lot more comfortable my sophomore year than I did my freshman year. I remember that much. Um, but I do think that was also when I just started to get more involved at the station as well. Once I Mm -hmm. had joined the school of communication, I was there more frequently. I think, I mean, I was at the station almost every day, whether I was on air or not. Mm. And uh, yeah, there were, there were just so many awesome people that I was working alongside and with and witnessing. I started, I remember, gosh, when, when Mike had said that the, the university has this amazing radio station. That's when I had started listening to WRHU. Like once we got to New York and I would start tuning in and listening and hearing my friends on the radio just felt like a really cool thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to go back to, you mentioned uh, becoming a producer on the classics from Hofstra. Uh, How'd you get roped into that? Because it's not, it's not everybody's top priority. Um, I imagine uh, it was presented as an opportunity. Were you excited about it or was it just, uh, I guess this is what I'll do. How'd that go down? Well, I had um, some classical music training. So I, I, um, as a music education major, we'd had to take all these um, history of music classes and as familiar with, you know, a lot of composers at that point. I've forgotten so many of them at this point, but um, it felt like this is music that I'm comfortable with. Um, so I, but I'm pretty sure Joel Meyer presented it to me as an opportunity to get involved. I'm pretty sure that was a yeah. conversation that he and I had. Um, but I love jazz music and I would say the Jazz Cafe more than the classics, I really like kind of fell into that role, we didn't get as many submissions for classics. You know, as the producer, we had to listen to the all the CDs that came in. And so I would have this stack of CDs on my desk and I would have to, you know, give them a spin and see if there was anything that we wanted to put into the rotation at the station. Um, and I just remember classics was classics, but mm-hmm. Jazz Cafe, like we got some really cool stuff. Um, and I remember Dave and I had different ideas about jazz um, but my style was more like big band style jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to, to learn about some really cool local groups through my position as the producer because their CDs came across my desk. That's always fun. That's uh, that's nice to be able to make a, a local connection. Yeah. I also got, I also did a couple interviews, um, for the jazz cafe and we did one for, was it uncharted territory? I don't remember, but I, I will not forget. I did. Um, I got to interview tyranny Sutton for the jazz cafe. And that was like, oh. blow my mind. Amazing. Cause she is incredible. And then I got, you know, to get to meet her in person and talk to her about her career and her aspirations was like, it was just really cool. I also got to interview Aaron lore who at the time was um, in this musical on Broadway called Radiant Baby, which was the Keith Haring story. I think mm-hmm. it had an off-Broadway run and that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course now Aaron Laura has gone on to do like incredible things. <laughs> so um, it's just, it was one of those experiences where because of my role at the station, I got to meet and engage and 
interact with all of these incredible people, not just at the station, but in the music community as well. And then got to work on, you know, packaging it to then share that with everyone. So. Hmm. Now, were you producing the classic show and Jazz Cafe at the same time or were they back to back? I was producing them together. It was like a dual It wasn't a dual position, but I was producing both of them at the same time. Wow. And that was your second year at Hofstra? I think it was my second year. Yes, it was definitely my sophomore year. Because third year, I applied to be on the executive board, but then I didn't get an EB position. But I kept producing the shows. Okay. So you did that for two years. That's a lot of responsibility to take on as someone who left the, the, the music department and now you're a communications major and taking all that stuff on. Was that intimidating or exciting? It was exciting. I, 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 when I think back at WRHU, I think it was mostly just exciting. Again, I was there every day. Um, my friends were there. I, I, I would like go to class and then go back to WRHU and then go to class and then go back to WRHU. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds familiar. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what were the hours of the, the programming then for, for the classics and jazz? Cause I'm sure it changed between the time I was there and, and when you were there, how many hours were, were you covering a week? Oh my goodness. It was most of like the daytime block. Um, I want to say, I don't remember if it was 11 AM, 1 PM, but the classics were first, mm-hmm. I think, I think it was classics for like two or three hours and then Chaz Cafe was another two hours. It was, it was a lot of daytime programming. Um, we had a really great staff. Um, and it was, I just remember, I remember, I remember engineering more for classic spots than anything else um, because it was so relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just sit in the studio and let the music play. And then I think the, the hardest part was when we had a, you know, we were playing things on, on vinyl and we had to, you know, do the flip. What is that right. called? I forget the what it's dead called. Dead air flip. A dead air flip. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was another thing that Plotkin, that Dave had to train me for. Um, I, he's just, I, so, so many of my skills. <laughs> Not that I have them anymore. <laughs> Well, the, I I bet if you got behind a board and and a stack of CDs or something, you'd you'd, you'd be fine. But the the first time you have to do the dead air flip, you think it is, uh, it's it's the scariest thing, and then you do it, and you go, all right, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. But I survived. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to get a get a handle on that because when when I was there, we did classics from nine a.m. until two p.m., and then there was usually an hour of community programs and then we did jazz for a while three to eight and then we we dropped it down to three to seven so i feel like jazz was three to five in my memory it was three to five and then we had newsline right and how long a program was that was that because i think it started at something like 15 minutes but then it was expanded yeah i was there when it expanded it was very exciting Mm. um because yeah it was 15 minutes and then we brought it to 30 minutes and it was like that extra 15 minutes was a lot of extra work because you know we prepped we prepped significantly for that little 15 minute (laughs) segment and then bringing it to 30 minutes but bringing it to 30 minutes allowed us to do more packages and Mm -hmm. um i remember i worked when i think about news i always think about nick rafter 
Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Rafter was in my training class. I think he was in my training class. I, Nick Rafter and I spent a significant amount of time together at the station. Um, but he was always working on the news. Nick Rafter, and then I remember Justin Paley. Justin mm-hmm. Paley and Jared Greenberg were always doing sports stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that um, of course, like Andrew Falzone, he was um, he was a station manager. I think mm-hmm. my junior year. Um, but I also think about when I think about the news, I think about Andrew Falzone as well. Yeah. So on any given day, you'd have maybe what five or six people working on Newsline, or was it a little bit more? No, I would say that's probably right. Um, we worked in this like the newsroom was very small. I do remember that. And so we were sitting down in the newsroom and we were literally like shoulder to shoulder working on stuff. Um, but it moved very quickly. And we had that printer that um, that has like the dot matrix printer. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and those stories would come off and we would edit them. And then, um, oh my goodness. It was, it, it was very, there was a lot of camaraderie in the newsroom. Um, and then once it got to reading, like just setting the, the order of events, like what stories we were going to lead with and then where we were, you know, the transitions from there. And then I remember once we moved into the studio, like it was all just like this, this beautiful dance, you know, like from person to person shifting. And it was always, I feel like the quality of programming, like I, I haven't listened to too many other college radio stations, but even just when I listened to professional radio stations i feel like wrhu we were right up there like the caliber there there was no this is just a college radio station there was this is wrhu and we are the best and that was kind of the expectation for the content we put out as well it had to be it had to be fantastic and so with those high expectations in place everybody that i was working beside like everybody just you know we we did what we had to do we rose to the occasion so now, it, it wouldn't be fair of me to ask, you know, for you to think about it for other people, but was it um, that that setting that bar for excellence that you're doing a professional level newscast every night? Do you think that is something that came through from the station, from the training and from Bruce and Ed and Joel? Or was that these are people who want to do this for a living or, or want to continue this professionally and, and therefore they want to set this high bar? You know... At the time I was at WRHU with my fellow classmates, we all had like our different goals and aspirations and where we wanted to go. And some people wanted to go into radio and do professional production. I knew a lot of AVF majors at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like Ed Ingalls and Joel and Bruce, like they they just made it clear like through the training class and through the structure of everything, like everything was presented just very professionally as this is the expectation that we have of you. And we're going to, you know, obviously help you get to that level. But um, I think especially Bruce as you know the general manager, he really worked from the top down and all of his, all of his staff, you know, kind of reiterated that message. It didn't feel like, it wasn't a question and it wasn't a competition. It was just, we are a team and we do it this way. And this is what we do. Wow. That's a great answer. Thanks for taking a, a big swing at that question. Cause I didn't know what I was asking when I started talking and you, you really, you did a great job answering that. Thank you. Well done. 
<laughs> so uh, let's throw another tough question at you. Uh, going back in time, if you could, to when you're 18 years old or so and you're, you're on your way to that interview to meet with Bruce and Ed and Joel, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean to you at the time and what did it become? That is a big question. Um, what did I hope it would mean? At the time, I felt like radio was radio was something I had never been involved in. But as a uh, as a teenager of the late '90s, early 2000s, like radio was life. Like we listened to the radio all the time. Um, my friends and I would listen to the radio. We would make mixtapes for each other, like by saving, you know, the songs we heard on the radio. And, and so radio was a huge part of my life and I'd never made the connection of like, oh, this is something that I could actually be part of as well. So I think once the seed was planted, I was very, very excited about learning as much as I could about it. Um, and then Hofstra University just, I, I, I didn't end up going to UNC and I'm sure they would have had a great program as well, but I was really surprised by how much I fell in love with Hofstra and just the caliber of education that I received there. It was just above and beyond what I could have expected moving from high school into university. Um, and the training program at WRHU, it could have been like this thing that students slapped together and it wasn't, it was 100% professionally assembled from the get-go and so that helped me see this is the expectation of students that are here like we operated this level and this is the level i need to be at too so it was it was clear from day one of the training program that this was this was not a joke to anyone there this was not a hobby like this was a professional organization and that if i wanted to be part of it that i would have to you know rise to the expectation as well. Um, so yeah, from the, from the very beginning, it was very clear that, um, the program was meant to be conducted at a high, high, with a high standard at a high standard. Um, and then of course we're kids, like we're 18. Mm -hmm. And so this is not the first time in my life, but kind of like the first time in my life where somebody says like, you are grownups now. And this is what grownups do. And this is what we need you to do. And it wasn't that there wasn't, it wasn't so cut and dry, like, you know, you're, you're officially an adult now, but it was, it was like, you're an adult and this is what we expect of you. And I think it's important for every 18 year old, 19 year old to get that conversation at some point and to help you recognize that like, you are a grown up now, you're an adult and you need to be responsible for your actions. Um, and you need to like hold yourself to high standards. Like nobody is responsible for your, for your success other than you. Um, nobody is more responsible for, for your success other than you, I should say. Hmm. Um, so the leadership at, at WRHU was, was very critical, obviously like to have those conversations that needed to be had, but at no point in time did I feel like I am who I am. Like my success is due to someone else. Like my success was, or my failures were due to me and I had to own both of them. Wow. Wow. I hope that that's, answered that's... your question. Asking about 18 year old WRHU really was like a good, a good kick in the butt. I think. 
<laughs> I can see a bumper sticker there. WRHU, a good kick in the butt. I, I like that. We'll have to work on something like that. That was that was a great answer. That was phenomenal. And it shows um, how much it meant to you in the moment and how much it means to you still, even many years later. And that's that's a powerful testimony. And I really appreciate that. That's, that's phenomenal. I was really, um, you know, we, everybody moves forward, life moves forward and jobs change, you mm-hmm. know, locations change, people change. But, um, I didn't really, once I moved to Korea, I didn't keep in touch with so many people. I kept in touch with Katie Mulligan for a mm-hmm. long time. One of my besties, um, and but other than that, like a few people at WRHU, we just kind of we stayed Facebook friends. But it's only as I've gotten older now that I've kind of like looking back, realized how critical some of these influences were in the person I've become now. Um, and I especially have to think like Ed Ingalls and Bruce. I mean, we they they poured themselves into us and so many other generations and even knowing like we weren't all going to become newscasters or broadcasters or even do radio for the rest of our lives but it didn't matter to them then and it 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 was what it needed to be it shouldn't have mattered I guess is what I'm trying to say like they were just fantastic mentors to to young adults (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in conversations that I had with Bruce over the years, whether it was for this project or, or just in general, he always emphasized the idea of helping to create responsible citizens, not just broadcasters, but good people who, you know, were growing up and, and getting key lessons. And I think that, uh, that, that comes through in a lot of the stories you're, you're sharing today. Yeah, I'm. I was really sad. Um, I was really affected by both of their losses to the world. I think the whole world was affected by their losses. But um, I can only hope that I, uh, that as a teacher, I can touch the lives of of students the way that they're. You know, they ended up touching my life. I have no doubt. I have no doubt at all. Um, thank you so much for these stories. This has been so much fun. I've been nodding my head the whole time and, and smiling and grinning. This has been a lot of fun. And and I have to give you probably a, a lot of props and awards. I think this is the biggest time difference so far. I think we're, uh, what, 13, 14 hours apart. So thank you for, for being patient and helping me arrange this and then uh, and taking the time to do this. It's been a lot of fun. Brian, you get all the credit for this. You are putting together this amazing archive of of stories and legacies and information, and it's it's just a joy to listen to. And I thank you for your hard work um, making this something that we can enjoy for decades to come. 